Good morning, church. Today we'll be reading from John chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 35, and we'll finish at the end of the chapter, verse 51. So if you have a Bible, feel free to grab it or find it on your phone. It's just helpful to see the text that we'll be looking at today. So John chapter 1, verse 35 to verse 51. And this is what it says. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. Thanks for that, Signa. Well, now you know how much I'm stealing from the budget, I get the opportunity to preach, which is really putting the pressure on me to see if it's worth it, but... Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron uh, Purse. I help serve in the Young Adults uh, Leadership Team here at Canterbury Gardens. And it's really a privilege to be a part of this series in the Book of John. If you're new here at Canterbury Gardens, we've been going through this Book of John for about five weeks now. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, we're actually still only in Chapter 1, uh, if you can believe that. We've got 20 more chapters to go, but it's actually really exciting because I don't know if you've under- uh, realized this, but John is packed full of good theology. It's got so much depth to it. Every line almost you have to go through slowly because there's so much there. And so it's really exciting that we're actually taking the time to go through this book in such a way. Now for those of you who have been tracking with this series, you'll know that we spent the first three weeks in the prologue of John and that this really highlighted the divine word of God, the divine word of God who came and became flesh and has come as the light of the world, the light who is full of grace and truth, the light of the world that has come into the darkness of humanity. 
And this light, this life, this divine word is, of course, Jesus Christ. And so we looked at that in detail over the first three weeks. And Shabu, last week, began really what was the narrative of this section. We were introduced to John the Baptist, as Andy mentioned this morning as well, and we're given his testimony that he was not the Christ, but there was one who was coming that was far greater than he. There was one that he was pointing to, witnessing to constantly. And that was, as verse 29 says of chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was pointing to Jesus, God's Lamb, the Lamb who would be slain, the ultimate sin offering, the perfect, perfect offering for sin, the one that has always been pointed to throughout the whole Old Testament, in the, from the Passover before the Israelites came out of Egypt to all the sacrificial system. It was all pointing forward to Jesus. All these animals that were slain, all this blood that was poured out, it was not enough. Hebrews actually says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Impossible. Despite all the sacrifices that were made, they were actually pointing towards Christ, whose blood was powerful enough, who could pay for our sins and the sins of the world. This is the Lamb of God. And so Shabu left us with this amazing reality last week. And really this week we're going to continue to see testimonies. We're going to continue to see those pointing to Christ, coming to a new understanding about who Jesus is. But more than that, we're going to actually see what happens when the reality of this Lamb of God comes into contact with humanity. This humanity that is lost in darkness. And we're going to see that when we follow the Lamb, we will be transformed by the Lamb. And so let's, let's jump into this narrative. But first, let me, let me pray. Father, uh, we just come before you now. We want to ask that you will teach us from your word. Help us to hear and have ears to hear what you will say to us this morning. I pray, Lord, as always, you help us to be honest with ourselves, to be able to see the areas in our lives that need a change, and to know that this change ultimately comes through seeing you more clearly and understanding who you are as the Lamb of God. Create, create, create in us a deeper love for you and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here that, that straight away, this, this story takes place, this event, the day after what we were speaking about last week. The day after John has been talking about the Lamb of God who was, um, whose sins take away, take away the sins of the world. This is the next day. And John continues to witness to this Lamb. He continues to do what he came to do. We see that in verse 36. Jesus walks by and he proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, we just spoke about the weight that is behind this statement. It's such a massive statement, and, and these disciples would have had some idea what it, what it would have meant. They, they'd been spending time with, with John. They'd been hearing his message of repentance from their sins. And now they hear John say something like this. You know, they would not have had a full understanding of what this meant. They would not have fully known what it meant, the lamb, what the Lamb of God was going to do. 
But they knew enough to respond in the way that they did. They turn and they follow Jesus. And of course, John does not care. John does not care that he loses two of his disciples here. That was his purpose all along, to point to Jesus. And so they turn and follow Jesus. And then in verse 38, Jesus turns to them and asks them a very important question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And perhaps a little confronted by this question, the disciples answer, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now at first this seems like an odd answer to, to what are you seeking, but there's actually, I think, more going in here, on here, because this, this words that they use here, where are you staying, it could also be translated as where are you remaining. And this word in the book of John is really an important word. It's a word that, that is always used with discipleship. It's a word that's used to, to indicate discipleship. They're asking to remain with Jesus. They want to be with him. Because followers of Jesus will remain with Jesus. But ultimately we know also that these disciples were seeking the Messiah. They'd been with John. They'd been following his teachers. They were looking for the Messiah and then this very Messiah asked them, what are they seeking? But as I said before, I don't think they fully got this yet. I don't think they fully understood the significance of the Lamb, the significance of what Jesus would do on the cross. Perhaps they were more looking for a political Messiah, the Messiah who would, who would conquer the Roman Empire, who would, who would win by force. And look at the way Jesus responds to them. They ask where he is staying, and he says in verse 39, Come, and you will see. Come, and you will see. Now, now this could be just a simple invitation to, to come and see where he's staying, but again, I think it is more, uh, it's greater than this. Because I think Jesus knows their hearts. He knows where they're at. He knows what they're seeking. It's as if he's saying to them, Come, and you'll see that I'm actually the only one worth seeking. Come and see and understand that I actually am the Messiah. I am the one and the only one worth seeking. And I think as we sit here this morning, it's important for us also to ask ourselves this question. What are you seeking? What, what are we seeking this morning? Because I think even as Christians, it's very easy for us to get distracted. It's very easy for us to start finding our comfort, our security, our purpose outside of who Jesus is. To start filling, fulfilling our, and f pursuing our own desires apart from the desires of Jesus. And so the question I want us to think about as we start is, what are you seeking? As you sit here this morning, are you seeking Christ? You may not even call yourself a follower of Jesus here. You may come to church from time to time, or, or perhaps this is even your first time coming here. And you wouldn't say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But the question remains, what are you seeking? Perhaps like the majority of the world, you're just seeking to get by in life. To have a relatively happy, relatively successful, relatively comfortable life. Perhaps it's security and you come to church kind of just to make sure that you've got that spiritual part of your life done. You've got credit points towards God. What are you seeking? 
career, wealth, success. I don't know what you're seeking. But Jesus asked this question. And the invitation is the same for every one of us in this room, no matter where we are at, to come and see. Come and see. To come and see that only Jesus can truly satisfy our hearts. That only Jesus can be the one who actually restores our relationship with God, the very thing that we were created for. And he does this by dying on the cross for our sins and giving us the opportunity when we believe in him to have our whole purpose in life restored. Come and you will see. That invitation still rings out. And actually, we're going to see in this passage as we keep going through it, we're going to see what happens when these disciples actually do see. When they come to see Christ, when they come to see who He is, their life is radically transformed. So let's keep reading and see what happens to these simple men who follow Jesus. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. So John reveals to us here, finally, the name, one of the names of these two disciples, and that is Andrew. And it turns out this is actually Simon Peter's brother, And look what he does. After spending time with Jesus, after remaining with Jesus, they couldn't help but go and share who Jesus was. You see, he makes this this amazing statement, we have found the Messiah. That's a big statement. The word Messiah here means the anointed one, the one who has been set apart. This is very big. And so obviously after spending time with Jesus, they have found that he truly is the one worth seeking. And when they come to this realization about Christ, they couldn't help but share. Andrew couldn't help but talk with his brother about who Jesus is. And I think ultimately this brings us to our first point. When we follow the Lamb, it transforms our purpose. It transforms the purpose of our lives. You see, no longer was, was these disciples, their life was no longer primarily about them. They'd actually been caught up in something much bigger. They'd been caught up in the mission of God's kingdom, the mission of the Lamb to bring light into the darkness, to bring the good news of Jesus to those who had never heard it before. This is an incredible thing, and I think it's an incredible thing that happens to us when we follow Jesus. Our whole, the whole direction and purpose of our lives change. We have this new mission, this great mission of God's kingdom to point, to testify, and to share Jesus with others. And I think it's a good time to reflect upon our own lives and to ask ourselves, how are we witnessing to Jesus? How are we doing what these disciples did and sharing about Christ? Because I think it's really easy to lose the passion for this this mission. It's really easy as a Christian to just start consuming, 
to be so focused on what's going on in our own lives that we lose sight that we're actually involved in this mission of God, the mission of the Lamb, to reach out to the world. And and I like the the simplicity of Andrew. He, He first goes to his own brother and he tells him the good news. What about our families? They're sometimes the most difficult to talk to about Jesus. But Andrew gives us the example. He goes first to his family. We're called to be witnesses to God in every aspect of our life, to participate in his mission to the lost. But perhaps as a believer here, you're sitting here this morning and it maybe just seems all a bit too difficult. Or maybe you don't feel like you have the opportunities to share Jesus. I understand that. But I think we need to open our eyes. Because nothing really actually ignites our own love for Jesus than actually talking about him to others. And I think this passage actually gives us another clue, another reminder about what witnessing to Jesus is all about. Because you see, Andrew proclaims this message, we have found the Messiah. But then what does he do? You see, Andrew's word didn't convince Simon. He brings him to Jesus. And I think this is a good reminder to us, for those of us particularly who feel overwhelmed by sharing Christ with others, it isn't our job to convince them about Christ. It's not our job to have the best presentation in the world so that they will be just transformed on the spot. No, what we are called to do is to point them to Jesus, to bring them to Him, because ultimately only He can transform lives. If we point to ourselves or point to the church, they're going to see a lot of sin. They're going to see a lot of hypocrisy. But if we point them to Jesus, they're going to see perfection. They're going to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Witnessing is about pointing to Jesus. We don't have to have all the answers. We can say, I don't know, but we can show them Jesus. This is who the Lamb of God is. This is what he's done for you. And I have to admit, this is hard. I've been really convicted by God lately that I need to get more and more out of my Christian bubble. Working at church, studying at Bible college, it really makes it hard to talk to others who aren't Christians. And so I have to do whatever I can to get out of that bubble, to talk to people, to witness to people. How are we witnessing to to those who don't know Jesus? When we follow the Lamb, we get this whole new purpose in life. But let's keep, let's keep moving through here. Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus. And then Jesus says this interesting thing in verse 42. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we see here that Jesus decides to give Peter a new name. Now, I think at first, we, we, we kind of read through these verses, and this is probably one of those verses in the past I've just kind of read through fairly quickly, skipped over. I think we do that with a lot of verses in, in Scripture, but I think it's actually a really important point. You see, Jesus is saying who Simon is, and then he's saying who he will become. I think really what he's talking about here is Peter's character, the transformation of Peter's character. Because you see, Jesus gives him a new name. This, word, this name Cephas, which means Peter. And for most of us here, we know that that actually means rock. 
It gives this idea of a man with, of strength and stability. Someone who is reliable. And we know that later on in Jesus' ministry, he points to Peter and says, upon this rock I will build my church. Upon Peter, he will build his church. And I want to emphasize this because I think it really highlights the second thing that Jesus changes about those who follow him. When we follow the Lamb, it transforms our character. I mean, I mean think about this. This random fisherman comes before Jesus. He gets given this new name, meaning strength, stability, reliable. Do you not think that he was going, me? Of all people, me? And we know Peter, right? We know as we read the gospel. For most of us, Peter gives us a lot of hope because he's the one who is constantly falling down. He's the one who is constantly making mistakes. At one stage, Jesus calls him out because he is saying something that is aligning with the devil's desires. He even emphatically denies Christ, bringing a curse down upon himself, saying, I do not know him. And yet here is Jesus giving him a new name, the rock. You know, this should be an encouragement to us in this room. It should be a big encouragement to us, particularly those of us who are maybe falling down who are maybe being discouraged by our own sin and our own failures. Look at Peter. Even when we stumble and fall, it does not disqualify us. Jesus kept coming toward Peter in his mess. We see that at the end of the Gospel of John. He comes to Peter. He restores him. God is working in you. And if you're anything like me, you probably think this is taking longer than you'd hoped for. It's going slower than you ever thought it would be. You see all the mess in your life, but God's transformational power is working in you. And it worked in Peter so that eventually he lived up to this new name. He became what Jesus wanted him to become. And when we fix our eyes on him and allow God to work in our lives, we also will be like that. When we come to the Lamb, it transforms our character. It transforms our purpose and it transforms our character. Let's keep moving through the story. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And so, so this time, Jesus himself comes to Philip and, and asks him to follow him. And of course, like the other disciples, he does. He sees who Jesus is and he follows him. And then, just like everyone else, immediately after this new realization, in verse 45, Philip goes and tells his friend. We see this pattern throughout this passage. They hear, they understand, and they share And so then in verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So we see here once again, Philip tells his friend, and pay attention to what he says here. What he says to Nathanael is, We have found the one of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote. Now, this is a really strong claim. 
He is essentially saying, again, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the one they have been waiting for. I actually really like Nathaniel's response here. What does he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel's a bit of a skeptic. He's not altogether sure about Jesus here. Because you see, at that time, there was a lot of stigma around the town of Nazareth. It wasn't considered to be the world's best place to come from. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It would be kind of like, like us um, seeing something good come out of New Zealand. For us Aussies, like, can anything good come out of New Zealand? I'm not sure. Sorry, Nathan, no offence. No, offen- no offence to you there, Nathan. So. But there's a similar kind of mentality here. He's just sceptical. The culture around him has made him sceptical. But, but I want you to see what happens with Nathaniel's scepticism here because you might be a sceptic here in the room. You might be someone who has lots of questions about Jesus and that is not a bad thing. It's okay to have questions about Jesus. It's okay to, to be a sceptic. But look what happens here to Nathaniel's scepticism. Look at the way Philip responds to it. Verse 46. What does he say? Come and see. Come and see. Where have we heard that before? This is the exact thing that Jesus said to the first two disciples. Come and you will see. Bring that skepticism to Jesus and you'll see what happens. You'll see the way that he completely transforms it. And he can do the same to your skepticism. Even as a Christian, we often have questions, but we don't have to have all the answers. We need to bring these things to Jesus. And he will transform that. And he does. Look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus makes this interesting proclamation about Nathanael, obviously recognizing something about this man. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. We'll come back to this in a bit, what this means, but clearly it shocks Nathanael, and he asks this question How do you actually know me? And look at Jesus' answer. Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Or before Philip called you, I knew you. And this should be an encouragement statement for us as well. That before we knew Jesus, he knew us. He saw us. He called us. But I also think there's more going on here. Because it's not just amazing that he saw that Philip was under the fig tree. I think there's something else. And this is some conjecture, but I think he saw what Philip was doing under the fig tree. Because you see, it's an interesting response. Philip asked, how did you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. So he could have just said, I knew you before, before this, but he says, I saw you. And I think it's showing that he actually saw what, uh, what Nathaniel was doing. Sorry, I've been saying the wrong name there. He saw what Nathaniel was doing. Because you see, fig trees in that time were common places known for studying and meditating and reading. 
And so I think we can safely assume that this is what Nathaniel was doing. He was meditating, he was, he was reflecting upon something. And I think more than that, we can, we can actually know that Nathaniel was actually reflecting upon Scripture. Because look at the way, look at the, the thing that Philip says to him. He says, we have found the one of whom the law and the prophets wrote. So this guy was obviously someone who, who was known for knowing the word well, knowing his scripture well. And so here, Jesus saw him under the fig tree. He saw that he was meditating. But I think it gets even deeper than this because what did he say to Nathaniel? He says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, this gets lost on us, but I think, again, Jesus is referring to how well he knows Nathaniel. Because, you see, there was someone in the Old Testament who was known as the deceitful one, as the man of deceit. Does anyone know who that is? It, it was Jacob. Jacob was known as the man of deceit. He stole his brother's birthright. And so I think here, that Nathaniel, not only was he sitting under the fig tree, he was reflecting upon God's word. He was reflecting on the story of, Nathan- of, of Jacob. And Jesus says, I saw you and I knew you. And we'll see in verse 51 why this becomes even more convincing. And so this is the weight behind what Jesus is saying. He saw him contemplating God's word. And look at Nathaniel's response. His response matches what we're seeing. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so Nathaniel makes these great claims about Jesus. And again, claims that are very steeped in the Old Testament. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so we see here this man who one minute ago had this great skepticism about Jesus, has been transformed to having this completely new understanding about who Jesus is. His understanding has completely changed. He's been skeptic, he's been not so sure, and then something's changed. You know, I remember a similar experience happening in my life for me when I first met my wife. You know, I was, I was living in Poland at the time, and, and we had so many guests all throughout the year, constantly having guests and people visiting, and we'd have to spend time with them. And sometimes it was great, but sometimes it wasn't so good because you could lose focus on what you were actually doing in Poland and the ministries you were involved with. And so when I heard that Signa was coming, I actually wasn't excited at all. I was actually very, very skeptical. I, I, just, I, I was having a really amazing time in the library ministry I was a part of, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to pull out of some of these things and spend time with this random girl who I don't even know, who's from Latvia. I mean, where even is Latvia? So I was, I was, <laughs> so I was pretty, pretty skeptical about this. And I kind of made a commitment, oh, I'll just probably hang out with her once, just you know, make sure you know, she gets to at least know me. But then something happened. And I don't know what it was, but, but the first time I met her, everything changed. And I definitely wasn't a skeptic anymore. And I definitely broke my commitment of only seeing her one time. But from this meeting, it changed everything about me. It changed my skepticism to a whole new understanding about Signa. And so this is a similar thing on a much bigger scale. He's come to a completely new realization. Skepticism to belief. 
What a transformation. And I think this brings us to our final point. When we follow the Lamb, it transforms our understanding of Jesus. And this happens to all of us who follow, follow Jesus. We, we come to this moment of, of a new understanding, a new understanding about who Jesus is. And we've seen this happen to each of these followers. Each of them have, have proclaimed something about him. They've, they've come to know him. He, he's being called so far Lamb of God, Messiah, the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Son of God, King of Israel. And yet Jesus says something that is key here because despite the fact that Nathanael did have a new understanding and that his disciples did see more of Christ, they still needed to grow in that understanding. And we see that in verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, so he's basically saying, you believe, you believe because I just did this, but you're going to see something much greater. You're going to come to see me more clearly for who I am. And then we get this rather puzzling statement in verse 51. I've often read this and kind of just thought, okay, sounds good, but I have no idea what it means. That the heavens would be opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What could that possibly mean? Because, you know, it, it sounds quite strange, but it's actually amazing when you see what he is saying. Because you see, this is a very specific term that he uses. The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's actually from the Old Testament. But more than that, it's from a very specific event in someone's life in the Old Testament. Three guesses who that Old Testament character is. Jacob. It's from the life of Jacob. But we need to see this. So everyone, if you have Bibles, please turn to Genesis 28. And we'll read what happens in Jacob's life. Genesis 28, and we'll read starting from verse 10. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth. The top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. 
It's, it's quite an amazing story. Here's Jacob, the, known as the deceitful one. He has this dream and he sees this ladder coming from heaven down to earth. And the angels of God, there's that key term, are ascending and descending upon it, upon the ladder. And then we get God proclaiming his promises to Jacob. Proclaiming that Israel will inherit this land, but more than that, through their family, all the families of earth will be blessed. Jacob awakes and he proclaims that that this is none other than God's place, the gate of heaven. Between God's revelation and man, the place where God um, Jacob receives God's promises, and now here we have Jesus, a thousand thousands of years later, saying this same thing. But notice the difference: you will see heaven opened and the son of the son, uh, the angels of God, ascending and ascending on what? On him. On him. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I am the meeting place between heaven and earth. He's saying that between, I'm the meeting place between man and God. I am the very revelation of God. In fact, I am the very promise of God in the flesh. I am the one who fulfills this covenant made all these years ago to Jacob. This is who I am. How amazing is that? And this is why Nathaniel's completely changed. Jesus saw what he was meditating upon. He, he, he knew that he was focusing on Jacob. And he's saying to Nathaniel, you understand some of who I am, but you're going to see a lot more. You're going to see the way that I truly am the gate of heaven. Because I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world, our sins upon himself, to fulfill the promise of God, to make a way for us, to bring light into the darkness. I hope you can see how incredible this is and I hope you can see the way that God truly transforms our understanding of Him. This radically happens when we come to believe, but I also think that this must continue to happen as we go throughout our lives as Christians. It's not in one moment we have all the revelation of Jesus we need. We must continue to come to a greater understanding of just what it means that we have come to meet the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's significant. And I'm forever learning about this, forever coming to a deeper understanding, and we must do this ourselves. This is what happens to those who follow the Lamb of God. Their purpose is changed. They're, they're ushered into this purpose of God's kingdom. They, he out, transforms our character and he transforms our understanding. But I hope you can see that this last, ver- this last point is the key. It's the key to growing in, in the other areas. It's the key to growing in, in every aspect of our Christian lives. The key is to come to see the Lamb, the Lamb of God more to come and see who Jesus is, to get to know him more and more. And only when this happens will we be truly transformed. Only when we get our eyes on him will we be truly transformed. And so the invitation stands open to us all. The invitation that we heard at the start of this passage and the invitation we hear at the end to come and see. To come and see this lamb to come and see who he really is. To do that each day as we wake up, to come and see. Let that be the message of our day. Come and see the Lamb. 
who takes away the sins of the world. Let me pray. Lord, we just want to thank you. Um, We want to thank you for the fact that, yeah, you are who you say you are. We thank you that you have come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you that not only have you um, taken away our sins, but you've also given us uh, transformation. You also transform us when we see you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those in this room who haven't come to see this, who haven't come to repent of their sins, to put their faith in you. Lord, I pray that they'll come to see the truth, that whether they're skeptics or whether they're seeking, they'll come to see that you are the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And for each one of us, Lord, we'll continue to grow in that understanding, continue to grow in our, how big we see you are, how great we see you are. So we just commit this to you, in Jesus' name. Amen.